Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and special guest in the studio, Gerard Martinez. We are glad to have you today. Thank you for having me. And that must mean that signing day is around the corner, and it is less than a week until signing day. Another signing day. Another <laughs> signing day. So, of course, we are going to be talking about that today. Uh, of, of course, uh, there's an official visit. This weekend, there was one last weekend. USC got two commits. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then we'll talk about Graham Harrell. USC has another offensive coordinator, a new offensive coordinator. We'll be talking about that. And if you're wondering why we're wearing headphones, a new thing on this show, uh, we're taking live calls today. We've promised it. We've talked about it a lot. But we have live calls today. Uh, the number is right there, 424-254-9141. We have Chris in a little, like, he's bunker the in the back. He's going to take your calls, screen them. Um, we've tested this. Hopefully it will work. It's our first try though. So, uh, give us, give us some leeway there, but, uh, make sure you keep your calls family friendly and ask us a question and we'll put you on the air. So that will be fun. Oh, it's a run through, but we, we made it through. And of course your questions, not only are they going to be live calls, we're live on Facebook live, YouTube and Periscope. So any way that you could possibly give give us a question, uh, besides, like, carrier pigeon, we will try and answer it. Uh, <laughs> but, guys. Cannon string, something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that. Guys, how are you doing today? It's it, We're close to a second signing day. Yeah, yeah, like six days away. We got Gerard in studio. He drove in the rain all the way from <laughs> Chino Hills to the beach. Claps for Pretty him. Pretty impressive. You were here on time. Everyone's here early today. Yep. <sighs> it was great. We did it, guys. We got Chris in the other room exactly where he wants to be, not on the <laughs> air, just handling phone calls. Real quick thing on the phone call stuff. Uh, we obviously were excited to take some phone calls. And the number is, again, 424-254-9141. We can only do one at a time. We can't have people on hold. So basically, if <laughs> yeah. you get through, you'll wait. You know, you, you won't be able to call in again. I don't know if you call it. It'll be, it's basically our Paracel Podcast voicemail number. But for today, we're, right now, we're using it as a live call-in number, too. So if you leave a voicemail, like just wait and call back. You don't have to leave a voicemail every time. Just wait and call back. Uh, once it lines open, then we'll be able to get you on. Yep. Cool stuff. We're yeah. going to try it out. We'll see. Uh, hopefully no prank calls. I'll, my finger will be hovering over the mute button, so don't <laughs> even try it because I will <laughs> shut you down quick. Um, all righty. Let's get into recruiting. Gerard, okay. uh, start us off. What do you want to talk about first? <laughs> what do I want to talk about first? Well, we should talk about the two verbal commitments that USC got last weekend. Sure. Uh, Jalen Watson, 6'2", uh, 180-pound defensive back. From Ventura City College, um, a guy that USC just offered a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, kind of one of those things that we talked about even on the last podcast when I was here was the early signing period. USC was going to have to get some bodies. You know, there was the offensive line and the defensive back positions. They needed bodies. They weren't getting, you know, their plan A's and even some of their plan B's. So a guy like Watson is a little bit of a plan C, but it's an interesting move because it's a junior college player. It's a guy that's going to be able to come in. And with junior college players, you want them to be able to contribute right away. So we're going to see how that goes. He's got length. He's actually more of a cornerback that we've seen USC recruit uh, in the past cycles with Ronnie Bradford, where they had guys that were taller, uh, guys that really had a lot of length. They've kind of gone away from that a little bit. I mean, obviously, you're going to go away from that if your plan A's are not necessarily still on the board. But with Jalen Watson, they still get a guy that has that link. So we're going to see, you know, if he's able to come in and contribute early. Um, obviously, that's a, a big deal for him. He didn't have a lot of big-time scholarship offers. So it was one of those things where USC was his best offer. Uh, Greg Burns, you know, went in. It was pretty aggressive. And you have to give some credit to Greg Burns, the new defensive backs coach. He has been very aggressive, I think, with this just little bit of time that he's had to hit the ground running. Obviously, he was at, um, you know, Oregon State. <laughs> 
So we'll move it up a little. Well, we don't need it in my face. This well, is video. This is not a, is a regular video, podcast. But we want it near your mouth. So. <laughs> I, think, I think you can all hear me all right. Mid-sentence. You're, you're fine. Though. Exactly. <laughs> Great time to do that. Well, there's, never, there's never a there, – it's always mid-sentence with you, Arjun. Right? <laughs> okay. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> On the Kalana Makala. Uh, Kalana is, uh, another guy that's, it's got some height and got some length to him. 6'3", 180 pounds. He's played almost exclusively cornerback for Punahou High School in Hawaii. And a guy that was actually ranked the number one defensive, uh, corner or the defensive back in Hawaii, just in general. Um, I think he was 11th overall in the state of Hawaii. A guy that talking to Blair Angulo, who covers Hawaii and covers the Mountain West region for 24-7 sports. He was really high on him, and he really liked him in uh, in Hawaii for the Polynesian Bowl. And on Orion, you got to actually go there and yeah. actually videotape him a little bit through practices and see him throughout the whole week, not just in the game, but throughout the whole week. Yeah, we were checking him out, and it, props to Blair. And this is you know part of the reason you know when you subscribe to uscfootball.com, you're part of the 24-7 Sports Network. We got the best support team around us. So you got guys like Blair Angulo, who during the check-in, he's like, that's the guy you want to check out. Uh, I think USC is interested in. I mean, you knew, like you, Gerard was saying, you know, they, they missed out on the Chris Steele. You miss out on some of the, the, the plan A guys. You got to go to yeah. some plan B. He might be one of those plan B, plan C guys that is the diamond in the rough. There, I know that USC is going to be recruiting some guys that are just like, it's a necessity, but I think he's a guy that you're like, could have definitely been overlooked. But six foot three, when you're talking about that kind of length for a player, looked really athletic out there when we saw him. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, it was cool to kind of see him develop and then like, oh, he's taking a – it all it, it kind of snowballed from yeah, never heard happens. of him to we yeah. filmed him during the week. We put up highlights. <laughs> so you, you're you only going to see those on uscfootball.com. And then all of a sudden he takes an official visit and now he's a commit. Well, he got offered on his official visit Yeah, to so he didn't have an offer or anything yeah. when he came out. Yeah. So that's But that's like – to me, I don't know what you think, but the, he's like a plan B guy that's like – he's Yeah, he's, you he's, see potential there. You see where he could have had more offers. And, and talking to Blair and we put up a – feature impact uh, on him just this past week and talking to Blair about his recruitment and maybe why he didn't have more scholarship offers. He was saying it was just really the way he approached the process. Uh, you know, his uh, trainers and the people that are kind of working with him through recruiting, they really have invested in trusting the process and allowing things to go through and taking their time and not necessarily having to go to the mainland early and really push their name out there. So um, I, I think from that standpoint, you know, he really just took his time he, he proved himself on the field, and USC was kind of waiting and waiting. And, and perhaps maybe that Polynesian week, you know, being able to see him out there against that competition really helped him kind of get that scholarship offer. And again, this is a guy that played cornerback in, in high school, really. So he, he projects as a safety, but you know he has the coverage skills to be able to play even at 6'3", 380 pounds. Yeah. Um, as far as USC getting two commits, of course, uh, USC needed to fill that, that DB depth. I know a lot of people are maybe attributing it to Greg Burns. How much do you attribute it to a new guy coming in uh, at that uh, position? Well, I mean, Greg Burns gets credit because I, I think Greg Burns gets credit just in general because he's been pushing. They they offered some kids in the South. They were just active. Um, they're not going to get a lot of those guys. They're going to be some of those guys they just they strike out on. You know, just basically the top rated players in some of the South region that they went after and they tried to make a move with. Um, they're not going to get those guys, but I, I do give just credit for the effort. You know, the fact that that's yeah. that's an upgrade for USC, just the effort of going out there and trying to cultivate some options. They weren't doing that before. And, you know, you got to give Johnny Nansen actually some credit here, specifically for Kalana, because that's a Hawaiian guy. And that's yeah. obviously Johnny, Chad, uh, Kalhaha. Both those guys are Hawaiian recruiters. And so they're out there 
They saw him. They probably had him on the board early. I'm sure they were pounding the table for him. And it became one of those things that look at, you know, look at our options, look at his film, who else are we getting? And then Greg Burns probably was there to, to sort of green light it or help green light it. So um, it, it's a combination of certain things. I think it's just watching Burns just this past few weeks and how aggressive he's been. That's really going to pay dividends just in the future for USC. USC cannot part-time recruit anymore all yeah. right you you know you got away with it because you went to the rose bowl and then you turn around and you won a pac-12 championship but when you don't win then you don't have any recruiting minimum at the end of the year and you get stuck basically flat-footed and a lot of your guys start to you know jump ship so you got to be able to recruit during the spring and during the summer and you can't just basically go mia you know in the middle of the season yeah. and i think for for him i think you're, you're talking <laughs> about him recruiting coming in there's not a lot of options because you're coming in late in the process. So it's got, yeah. a lot of it's going to be evaluation where who, are, what are you doing? There's, there's, there's mu there are a lot more options as far as three-star guys go than, you know, the four-star or five-star guys right. that you're looking at initially. So you come in, you want to make sure you pick the right guy. You don't want to pick. Yeah. That's where it becomes about from. evaluation. Yeah. You know I mean? There's, 100%. there's various different aspects to the recruiting process. Everybody just kind of says recruiting, but recruiting is really kind of like three things. I mean, it's, for sure, it's the evaluation part. And that's really what you're talking about, Ryan, where Greg Burns has to come in and his options are, okay, who is the diamond in the rough? <laughs> the pressure is who you got to find somebody who's good, who these other schools don't think is that good. That's why he's a three-star. That's why this particular player doesn't have a bunch of scholarship offers. It's not, you know, hey, you need to be good salesmen and go ahead and sell the program to these guys that are top-rated guys. Well, there's not a lot of top-rated guys left on the board anymore. Yeah. And that's that's the whole early signing period, you know. Yeah. But signing day is Wednesday. That's that was like for our business, it was like Christmas and New Year's and Kwanzaa, right. all like wrapped up into one. It's just something's been taken away a little bit. It's just not it, because there's so many players already. Because ninety percent of the top players yeah. signed. I mean, it's like when we go down to San Antonio to watch the Army All American Bowl. It used to be one of those things where that was a big news week, and now almost all of those kids, majority of these kids have already signed. Some of them even signed and didn't tell anybody they signed. <laughs> Pull <-pull> gates. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so, I mean, it's one of those things where it, the, the mystery of it all <laughs> is completely taken away. Yeah. And now you basically know where everybody else is going. And if you're a school that has a bunch of commits, it's still interesting because you go down there during the week and you see how effective those players can be against that level of competition. If you're USC and you've only got two commitments, Puka Nakua and Drake Jackson, it's a little less important. We did get some good stuff with both those guys, but obviously it's not a quantity of great players that you're watching that are going to be going to USC. Yeah. Um, in a related note, Jasper Smith on YouTube says, is it wise to offer uh, these plan C and D guys late in the game or just wait until next season and go after plan A? That's a great question. And, and I don't know that there's a right answer to it. I think the right answer obviously comes two years later when you've offered maybe a bunch of three-star guys and they don't pan out. You know, then you could look back in hindsight and say, yeah, you know, that was dumb to offer a bunch of three-star guys. You should have saved it and gone and used those scholarships when maybe next year you're going to be a better team and you're going to have more options. But then at the same time, you can argue the attrition factor. And we've seen with USC and the injuries the past yeah. few years, you just got to have some bodies out there. You got to have some guys on scout team. You don't want your starters to take too many reps and to have to take maybe you have got second team guys that are taking scout team reps and then you start to have the attrition factor where guys start to get injured. So from that standpoint, I think you can argue either way. USC's not probably going to sign. They're not going to get to their 85, right? right. I mean, they're, they, I think they've got to sign 
on top of the guys they have right now committed, they've got four guys that are verbally committed, not signed. You got to have six more, I think, in the class to get to that 85. That's probably not going to happen. So they will have some rides that are left over. Now we have the transfer portal. Transfer portal. That's yeah. the portal is is changed things a little bit. And you can go to 24-7 Sports right now, yeah. and you can actually see uh, a database reflecting the portal and kind of well, who's there and who's looking to transfer, where they are transferring from, what type of eligibility they have. Now you can actually uh, you can go through and categorize it by their eligibility. You can categorize it by their position. It's excellent. It's an excellent it's tool. It's really cool. And they're rating. And they're, they're re-rating guys now, too. Yeah. yeah. How important are they now that they're transfers? So... It's very interesting now that you have this in college football, and the NCAA has done this. It changes the game a little bit on transfers, and certainly these kids now, transfer process is much more visible. Yes. And that's going to make more kids transfer. We've seen that. That's basically how it goes. It becomes more visible. Guys start to see this, and they go, hey, I think I want to transfer too. I want to take five more official visits. <laughs> so we're going to see how this develops over the years and how big it becomes, but you might be able to get a guy, and we've always talked about grad transfers, and those are a little you know, further and farther between, but just, just a regular transfer that you can get, even if he's going to have to sit out a year, you can still get a very quality player in the next year that could make an immediate impact to your team uh, that next year after sitting out. And he really can make an immediate impact to the team, even if he has to sit out, because again, that's a guy that can play on your scout team. And I know people don't necessarily take that into account as a very important aspect of football, but... Having seen sanctions, having seen some of the injuries that USC has had, the scout team guys are incredibly important. You've got to get your first team guys a look from talented players. That's what we saw in the Pete Carroll era where he really preached competition. And competition doesn't happen if you got a bunch of walk-ons over there on the scout team. No offense to walk-ons, but that does not push your first team players. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the transfer portal. We actually have a caller, and he, I know. Is he, he calling from the transfer portal? <laughs> he's calling, no. Uh, he has a question about the transfer portal. So let's try this out. Okay. The inaugural okay. call on Tunnel Vision. <laughs> Josh from Palmdale. Hi, Josh. Are you there? Hi. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Josh. Hi. Thanks, you're, thanks you're, Josh. Thanks for calling in. Josh, what's your question for the team? So my question is, how does all of the players – Entering the transfer portal affect the dynamic of the team, like, you know, depth and scholarship count and, and things like that. It affects it greatly. And I also, I had a, I had a second question too. It's kind of related, but okay. not really. Well, let's get to your first we'll question the first and, then, and then we'll get to the second one. We can still talk to you. Because yeah. it's, <laughs> it's live. Because it's live. Carry the conversation <laughs> with Jeff. Um, yeah, it affects the team a lot. I think, you know, I asked this of, of several college coaches. You get a kid that puts his name in the database that in itself obviously affects things uh, morale-wise a little bit. You know, I, I think everybody understands there are certain players that maybe are not playing. So, you know, they say, you know, coach, I, I'm thinking about transferring. I want to be put into the database. So the school, upon request, puts that player into the database. Everybody gets to see it now, even though technically it's private. The, the real database is private. You're looking at 24-7 is really just a reflection of that database because we have the sources that can basically look into the database and say, okay, yeah, this guy's in the database. <laughs> so that's basically what you're looking at. And it's, so it's not real time, but it's pretty close to being real time. It happens pretty quickly. So there is a little bit of that, wow, this guy's in the database. And man, should I be in the database? Should I think about maybe transferring? Yeah. Kids can take their name out of the database anytime. But the interesting thing is, and this is what I asked of a couple coaches, you can take visits to other schools 
and then still take your name out of the database. And I said, how is that going to work? You get a guy that says, hey, you know what? I'm going to take a visit to Hawaii. I'm going to take a visit to USC, <laughs> UCLA, ASU. I'm, gonna, I'm going, I'm taking my five official visits. Uh, no, I think I'm going to stay at Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> how does that work? And, and basically the coaches said to me, well, I don't think that those – at that point, you can take you can take the scholarship. Away. Yeah, the school yeah. can remove the you can, can take you off of their scholarship, so you can revoke that. So that's that's an interesting part, and I I, I feel like what Gerard's saying, you can build up momentum where USC's put players into the database into the you know transfer portal, but not it's not having anyone taken out of it. And you might see like a Trayvon Sydney who tweeted out, I don't know if he, I think he tweeted out that he was going to go, but. Now that Graham Harrell's the yeah. the offensive coordinator, maybe he changes his mind. Like, you know what? I'm going to catch a crap load of balls, so I yeah. want to stick around. So you you could see that. I don't think USC would cut him off. And we but. have seen it. We've seen some players, not from USC, but other schools, Penn State safety, um, decided, you know what? I don't want to be in the database anymore and, and actually tweeted out he was going to stay at Penn State. So it's, it's very plausible, but it, it's the next step of, okay, I'm actually going to visit schools. How does that dynamic work? I know coaches are saying – well, then at that point, you don't want him and you're going to revoke a scholarship. But I guess it depends on who it is and what, how level of player it is. <laughs> yeah. So we still have Josh on the line. Yeah, Josh, what uh, Josh what's your second question? It's Josh, not Jeff. Excuse me. So my, my second question was, so this year, I think we all can agree that this year is kind of like a subpar recruiting class as far as USC standards go. Yes. So how does this class... Uh, how does this class affect the team, not next year, next season, but two or three seasons down the line, when these guys that are in this class are the leaders of the team? Yeah, it's it's really, you know, down the line, the quality of player in this class, are there enough contributors that there isn't a gap that you see actually on the field? And, you know, we've seen it with USC. I, I remember distinctly there being that gap on defense when they had that year where they missed out on Manti Teo. And they missed out on Vontez Perfect. And that was the year where they lost Brian Cushing. They lost Clay Matthews. They lost Ray Maluga. They lost Kuluka Mavea. They lost that great linebacker group. And they needed to go out and sign a great linebacker group. And they got Jarvis Jones, who ended up taking a medical. And then they wouldn't let him play. He transfers to Georgia. Um, and then you had, um, and the name is going to escape me right now. Frankie Telford. Frankie Telford. Who had the heart condition? I yeah. can read his mind. Nice, and, and he and so 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 not only did they miss out on Vontez Perfect and uh, and Manti Teo, but they missed out on the guys technically that they signed they had on the roster. That really hurt them, and I think it was like that 2009 season where they ended up at the Walnut Bowl or whatever they were calling that. And, the Emerald and Bowl. The Emerald Bowl. <laughs> Emerald Walnuts or almonds or whatever kind of nut, and and they and they came up and they had this big gap on defense, and you could just see. Man, they needed those guys at linebacker. So, yeah, it's going to affect them. It's going to affect them. It's going to be something where they have to use this next class, the 2020 class. They've got to maybe oversign, and they've got to find quality guys that can get that can make up for specifically the offensive line. I think, you know, perhaps defensive back, we don't know how that's going to pan out yet. But specifically with the offensive line, that's where USC needed to hit gold on this class. It was a good class. Uh, cycle-wise on the West Coast, and they swung and they missed out. Yeah. Flat so, out. So according to producer Chris, we've gotten multiple calls during this whole thing, <laughs> including the one you guys probably just heard that I had to mute. Sorry so that, yeah. thank you, Josh, for calling in. I had to mute you so we can't hear him anymore. Um, Thanks, Josh. 
Yeah, thank you, Josh. I, I think actually ever. when he was done with his question, Chris might have cut him off. Then you can mute him and then okay. we'll just move on. But yeah. uh, YouTube was freaking out. They're like, Josh, we'll go down in history. So <laughs> the they were first, excited about that. It is, the it's, peanut gallery over cool. there. Sorry. I mean, we, you know, we just put this all together ourselves. So it's like, we, uh, you know, I wasn't working about two hours ago. <laughs> and then I got it working. We I'm got like, it. We're yes. excited. Um, <laughs> moving forward, this weekend is the last weekend for official visits. Uh, what What is it looking for for USC this weekend? It's going to be an interesting weekend. As of right now, we've got three official visitors for sure that are locked in for visits uh, Friday, and that's going to be Hunter Hill from Orem, uh, Utah, 6'6", uh, 285-pound uh, offensive tackle, the, the teammate of Puka Nakua, um, a guy that's interesting because, you know, he fits that air raid offense maybe a little more. He's not the 320-pound, 330 uh, giant like uh, Dewan Jones uh, from Indianapolis, one of those guys that you would think – would be maybe a little more of a road grader and a run first offense guy that's committed to Washington state. And we're going to see how that goes. Uh, Blair and Gulo actually just put in a crystal ball for him to go to USC. So a oh. little bit of momentum, maybe going towards USC going into this uh, official visit. Uh, and he's at an in-home with Drevno this week. So uh, that's going to be interesting dynamic there, which he's going to be on campus. You're going to have uh Chavisi Nomura, who is the, linebacker slash defensive back from Centennial High School in Corona, uh, a guy that um, is kind of a tweener. When I've seen him mostly, he's been sort of an edge rusher for Corona Centennial, a kid that made a lot of tackles for Corona Centennial. Um, he was a big playmaker for them, but USC kind of talking about him maybe playing safety. I don't know about that. I haven't seen him enough. Uh, playing, you know, over curl or playing in the deep secondary. He's really been more of the line of scrimmage and a, a bit more of a ball hawk. Um, so that's kind of an interesting one, but he's going to be an official visitor this weekend. A lot of people feel like USC is a team to beat. He was at UCLA last weekend, so they're trying to make a push for him. Uh, and Jaden Williams, uh, defensive back from Corona Centennial. So we've got some some teammate action here uh, towards the end of the class. Jaden Williams um, is, a, is another like 6'1", 180-pound defensive back who is really just kind of turned it on with scholarship offers here in the last Last month he got Oregon he just came back from Washington he was actually kind of had penciled in an official visit to Oregon uh, for this weekend but he's canceled that visit he's going to visit USC Friday uh, so that's kind of a big win for USC but USC hasn't had a lot of luck Washington versus USC for defensive backs the thing is right now like I said Greg Burns is being a lot more aggressive and USC obviously has a ton in terms of depth you know, they, they really can sell the depth chart for defensive backs. So Jaden Williams grew up a USC fan. He loves USC. He's going to take that official visit this weekend. So USC in a pretty good position for those two. The other official visitor that we have who, you know, we're not going to say is locked in because he supposedly was going to take a couple official visits the last couple of weeks. It didn't happen. He canceled his visits. Uh, is Keelan Robinson um, uh, from St. John's. Uh, one of the top running backs in the class, four-star, committed to Alabama right now. Uh, kind of interesting because he's been committed to Alabama for a long time, but Alabama is still courting uh, Jerion uh, Eli, who's from Mississippi. And a big-time player, he's, I think, going to officially visit Alabama this weekend. So I've heard some talk that Robinson might even delay the process and not sign Wednesday but maybe kind of see what happens after signing day so he can see what goes on with Alabama. But, you know, 5'10", 185 pounds, he really sort of fits that air raid offense. Keelan Robinson's like kind of the perfect fit. Yeah. He would be kind of a home run at this point in time in terms of the running back situation. And, and you know, USC trying to cultivate some options really haven't been a lot out there. I know Darwin Barlow is a guy that they had to officially visit uh, from Newton, Texas. He's committed to TCU. From everything I hear, he's going to stay with TCU. So Keelan Robinson would be a guy if they could steal him away from Alabama. 
technically because like Alabama is kind of going for Eli. But if they're able to get him, that would be a huge steal for uh, Mike Jakes, who's the new uh, running back coach and a guy again been very active on, on the recruiting trail, trying to get some options going and trying to get his name out there. And we heard, you know, at Texas Tech, where it's really hard to recruit, he was a really good recruiter and a good talent evaluator. He was able to get some guys that were three-star guys and two-star guys and make them into guys that were contributors for Texas Tech and ended up being really good players. So uh, going to be interesting to see if they're able to do anything with Keelan Robinson. And I said, we'll see if he gets on campus. It's, it's one of those things that we hear. That's his plan right now. But there have been schools the past couple of weeks where he was supposed to officially visit and he didn't show up. So we'll see. We'll keep you updated on that. Kind of a Jordan Wilmore replacement, Robinson maybe? or uh, uh, Really better because he's faster. And, and we talked about that with Mike Jinks. He was really looking for guys that had some speed. Um, and, and Wilmore is just not a fast guy. He had some great statistics and, and was fantastic on the field at the high school level. You know, makes great tackles, you know, breaks tackles, makes yeah. some great plays. But... From, from a speed standpoint, you know, we would we saw Jordan Wilmore and Sean Dollars at the final elite camp that USC had during the summer. And I think Dollars was the last guy out of the whole skill position. This was the second camp that they had, which wasn't as talented as the first camp they had. And Dollars ended up being last in that group of skill players. And Gilmore, I think, was probably like three or four guys ahead of him, which was still not even, I think, middle of the pack. So, yeah. Uh, not real, a lot of speed there with Wilmore and Dollars. And I think while USC was going to take Wilmore and they wanted Wilmore because they just want the bodies and, you know, you got room. Um, I think for Jenks, I think he definitely prefers to get somebody who's got a little more speed. And Robinson's certainly that yeah. guy. So according to Chris, we are being flooded with calls. Flooded. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. So, we, yeah, we can only do one at a time. We're going to take that. another caller. This is Casey, who's a male. I thought it was a female. Casey, uh, I believe you're alive, Casey. Hello. Yes, ma'am. Hi. What's your question? Yeah, it's like a two-part question. Uh, one was for you. Uh, I just wanted to get your current uh, uh, take on the recruiting uh, process so far for SC um, and, and get your take on that. Uh, the, other, the other question was for the other two guys. Um, do you think with everything that's gone on, uh, the addition of Graham Harrell and, and all that stuff, can USC close like they normally do on signing days and or are we just going to get just a you know a couple of three star four star recruits are we are we going to get some five stars or what so, so the first question was for Keeley, so I want to hear which is crazy. Keeley's answer. I, I don't know why, uh, Casey, you would call on when Gerard is <laughs> in studio and call for my opinion about recruiting. Uh, I appreciate it, I guess. Uh, well, I like, a, I like a woman's opinion sometimes, and, and you're around campus all the time. So. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. I forget that people can respond to me. Usually I can just talk to them because they write in. and then uh, No, I think uh, Gerard said this before, but like when you have a bad season, bad things are going to happen, and this is what happens when you have a 5-7 and seven season and, and the people are down on the team. Um, I think losing a guy like Brew McCoy is pretty big. I was really high on him, and I thought he was a really intelligent guy, and they – USC talked about changing culture. He's a guy who can change the culture. But uh, I'm still high on Kyle Ford. Uh, I think Drake London is really underrated in this class. Um, but, you know, it's not going to be the normal class that USC is used to getting. Um, but that's what happens when you go five and seven. Yeah, you look at Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Casey. And then uh, you might want to mute it now because oh, okay. we get more calls. But for – so we talk about the, his, the, the historic significance of this class – it's still the number two ranked class in the Pac-12. Now, USC, we, I put up a chart. We went back from 2002 to today. 
USC's never finished, only finished like second in the Pac-12 like three times. So it really hasn't happened very often. Usually you're getting, this is the difference. Um, there's going to be more three-star guys than USC's ever signed. I think the most USC's ever signed is 10 or 11. And there's already like 12 or 13 now or something. So it, you're going to get more three-stars than we've ever seen in a class going back to like 2002, like basically the internet era. The other thing is USC typically gets six, seven, eight, sometimes more of the top 20 players in California. USC would get those guys. Right now, uh, the last I checked, I think USC has two of the top 20. And the, the problem is where you're talking about closing on signing, I think USC could have, if this was the regular signing period, I think even with the five and seven season, making some of the changes they did, I think USC could have closed strong uh, on signing day and maybe and, and swung, you know, swung the uh, pendulum in, in their direction and pick up some more, some more of those guys in the California top 20 or so. But because of the early signing period and the way things finished and there was so much turmoil going on, all those guys are gone now. So there's just not as many options. So it's, it's a different story. I feel like the early signing period hurts USC because when you would have a weird season, you could still close strong on signing day. Now you're, is, you don't really have that opportunity anymore. I don't know if you agree or not. Yeah, no. It kind of reminds you back to that 2011-2012 season where USC went 7-6 to six and they go to the Sun Bowl and they lose the Sun Bowl. And they had such a great recruiting class going into December. If there was an early signing period then – they probably would have been able to actually, it. yeah, they would have had a great class and a lot of those guys probably wouldn't have decommitted. Um, but they're on the flip side of that now. And so, you know, to answer the question, are there, are there going to be some four-star and five-star guys that they're going to get on signing day? Not a lot. Um, they're not going to, they really don't have a lot of options on signing day to, to really, you know, go after a full six guys. Um, it's probably going to be maybe if there's a, a Keelan Robinson that they could sway on this official visit. That would be a big-time get. That would be a high four-star running back, and they need running backs uh, to get two in this class and to have Keenan Christian, who's the track star from San Diego, um, who's really interesting and intriguing in this offense, and then bring in a guy like Keelan Robinson. That would be great. Uh, perhaps they have to go into the transfer portal and they have to go and grab some of those guys and be able to get maybe a running back or maybe offensive lineman there. But it's not going to be we're going to close with you know two five stars on signing day and it's going to change the narrative of this recruiting class. That's not going to happen. This is a, a recruiting class where USC just, they were not able to close and you look at how they played and you look at some of the things going behind the scenes and it's very understandable. It's really, it shouldn't be a shock. Yeah. Um. So thank you. Uh, Casey, Thanks, Casey, for your for call. Apparently, when someone calls and then someone else calls, we can hear the the ringing. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we'll we're, figure this we're, stuff out. We're working sorry. this out. Meanwhile, but that's great that a lot of people are calling. It's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> USC third actually right now in the Pac-12. Oh, they, they lost Brew. They lost. They dropped one behind Washington. Yeah. So, they, yeah. so they did, but then I think they picked up an extra commitment and they they moved up percentage points above Washington. But then it's it's really close between USC and Washington. It is very close. Washington the seventeenth and USC's eighteenth. Yeah, Currently. and it's like less than a point, uh, the difference. So YouTube has nominated one person to call Jasper Smith because they think he's the, the, the favorite, which is just hilarious watching them talk about this. Um, but as far as something we haven't addressed yet, Graham Harrell as USC's new offensive coordinator, what were your guys' initial thoughts about him? I know he was on the hot board. Ryan, you put him on our uh, USCFootball.com hot board yeah. about offensive coordinators. That was kind of speculation on your part, but what was your thinking behind that? Yeah, back in December, we, we, so we weren't sure. And USC just been kind of tight-lipped about everything through this process. You hear a couple names, you hear... Uh, Jed Fish, and then 
yeah, I, I feel like we kind of put the Graham thing out there. And, but it, he's really like a Cliff Kingsbury. Some people are saying Cliff Kingsbury 2.0. I think it's more like Cliff Kingsbury light. He's only been uh, you know, a full-time assistant in college for four years. He was a, one year as a, a wide receiver coach for Mike Riley. I'm Mike Riley. Mike, Mike Leach, Leach up at uh, Washington State. And he was like a, an analyst the year before that. So two years with Leach, one as a full-time assistant. And then really from one year as an assistant became the, the offensive coordinator at North Texas. The last two years, uh, they have top 25 offenses. I like him a lot. I mean, he's he's like a Texas kid, and I, I know there were some, you know, apprehensions maybe coming to Los Angeles, but, you know, it, it was a great opportunity. You know, we had reported that there was some initial contact there, and he didn't seem all that interested. He already turned down North Carolina for the job. He was up for the Oklahoma State job. But USC came to the table, and I think they worked out something that he felt comfortable with and uh, were able to get him. The weird part was that USC had hired every other position except offensive coordinator and yeah. quarterback coach. So they kind of needed they needed an offensive coordinator. We reported this in the war room a couple of times. They needed an offensive coordinator who's going to be a quarterback coach. So you were kind of limiting what you know your pool was going to be. He seems like a really good fit for you know replacing uh, what a Cliff Kingsbury would do. And I and I know there's some USC fans out there that aren't really happy if the team wins a bunch of games because they they want a, a whole change of the coaching staff, but. I feel like you bring a guy like that in, he runs the offense, you're going to score another 7, 10 points a game, and you'll probably win three or four more games, like just like that, just by having a competent offense. And I, I think uh, Graham Harrell is going to bring that. Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's an offensive system that he brings with him. And so I think that was really what fans wanted. They wanted to see some type of identity out of the box. Yeah, Let's not just go into it and get away from the gumbo where we're throwing in a bunch of different things and we're making sort of our own offense out of it. They wanted to have a specific offense, and I think it has to go with accountability. The fans want to see accountability. They want to see that there's autonomy there. He's the play caller. He's the one that's developed the offense, and if it doesn't work, then you know he didn't get the job done. So I think from that standpoint, the fan base was happy that USC continued down that that path of, okay, we're going after a specific type of offense. Like you said, Ryan, they kind of were committed somewhat to the air raid because you had Mike Jenks already on staff. Yeah. You kind of made that coaching staff with Cliff Kingsbury, even though Cliff Kingsbury didn't really bring a bunch of guys with him. I mean, Jenks was really the only guy that had experience coaching with him. Uh, but you still had that sort of offense, offensive staff in place. And so now you're fitting in um, Graham into that staff. And you have to wonder how that worked too, if there was some dynamic there with his thinking. And, you know, usually when an offensive coordinator comes along, he wants to bring some of his own guys sure. in. And we were really surprised that with Cliff Kingsbury, they didn't bring in another wide receivers coach that they, you know, they, they just didn't do it. And, and that's usually yeah. one of those earmarks of the, tr the air raid offense. So that didn't happen. And, and that's still not going to happen. Um, but uh, with Graham Hurl, he's, he's, coming in and he's, you know, going to bring in a, a totally different type of offense and they're going to get more points out of it. And that's the whole thing. When you go back and you look at the season, ASU game, UCLA game, I mean, you could argue Notre Dame game, but I think Notre Dame was going to beat USC. I think Notre Dame just played down to USC's level in that game, to be personally honest. Um, but there's a few games there where USC could probably win three or four games last season. They just score some more points. Yeah. So, Another touchdown or two. and like Yeah. Now, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. It's easy to say, oh, they're going to have a better offense. They're going to score more points, so they just win those games. We have to see how the air raid <laughs> offense affects the defense. And I know I've gone on about this, and I'm not going to go on about this now, 
but you do have to know that it does impact your practice and it does impact your defense if you're throwing the ball that much. They start to not be able to stop the run as much because they don't see it in practice. They don't see physical lead blocking, etc. So we're going to see how that affects the defense. You still have Clancy Pendergast there. You do have some new defensive coaches. Pendergast has been pretty good. He's been pretty solid. Um, you wouldn't blame a lot of those losses on Clancy Pendergast, maybe UCLA. Uh, but a lot of those offenses you would say, or a lot of those losses that they have, you would say that the defense played pretty well yeah. in most of those offenses. In most of those uh, games, it was the offense that was really struggling a lot to find an identity and really get any kind of consistency. And certainly with the talent that USC has, and, and really specifically with JT Daniels, the air raid offense benefits him more than probably running any type of other offense. Um, so we're going to take a Facebook question to make sure those guys know that we're, we're still listening yeah, we to them. We haven't done one of that. I, feel I know. There's a lot of people. So Ryan says, uh, as far as Graham Harrell in relation to that, he says, why is there no information coming from the program until after the rumors has swirled through websites and Facebook posts, then three days later or so <laughs> get word from SC? Why is no one concerned about damage control? Well, it's, it's weird. So USC did as actually... As far as good, probably Cliff. Yeah. In that sense. USC did a good thing this week where they came out with... Uh, what, what did they call it? It was something... Uh, catching up with Clay. Catching up with Clay Helton. And they addressed... I, I put up a YouTube video today on that. You might see that on the channel or whatever. And we'll include it in some content. But there was a lot of stuff that happened this offseason. And they've been... You're exactly right. They've been very, very quiet. Uh, thanks, Ryan, for the question. Very, very quiet on things. So I think they kind of realized that, like, you know what? We have to come out and, and say something. They needed to say something about the Cliff Kingsbury stuff. Not just that he was leaving, but there were, you know, everyone was saying that the NFL reporters were saying that USC was blocking him. So, you know, Lynn Swan, some kind of statement coming out saying that didn't happen. Or, you know, we initially did that. And then we realized, hey, you know, we want him to have an opportunity. So we, we said, no, go ahead and interview him. Like, whatever you need to do, just try to control the, the message a little bit yourself. And they just haven't been yeah. doing that. But they came out and talked about, you know, when spring practice was going to be, that Ivan Lewis left to go to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, you know, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, Brew McCoy, transferring. Still new, looking for a strength and conditioning coach. Still looking for that. But they, they, they interviewed two guys during the weekend. But, yeah, at this point, uh, Tory Beckman, I think, was their guy that they really wanted. And he turned him down. So uh, that's still going forward, which is very important because right now that's this is the time where strength and conditioning is with the, with yeah. the team. Yeah, because they're working out right now. So there's that. He talked about Brew McCoy and the transfers. You know, uh, both um, great for a couple of guys we've covered a lot. Uh, Chris Hawkins and Vianney Talamaiva, like yeah, both going to be graduate assistants. So they came, put this like, whole manifesto out. Now, it would have been good to have, it, you know, pieces when they originally were coming out. I know when someone, you're going to hire somebody. Um, and they, they, they put it out right before they hired uh, Graham Harrell. So they kind of left the blank space where the, the name of the offensive coordinator was. But it, that was a step in the right direction. I thought that was smart to put that out there. You would have liked to see some of that stuff uh, come out earlier. But if they're they're signing a guy, like they they have to dot all their I's and cross all the T's before the agents and stuff, before we get the information and, and put it all out there. So it, I get that. But there was like radio silence, which they needed to stop. And, you know, this week they did. So that was good. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, I we... posted on the Peristyle already my thoughts on uh, – why it takes USC so long to get some of this information out after it's kind of been official for a while already. So I'll just, I'll just stand on Another right. reason to just subscribe to USCfootball.com. Yes. Yeah. To get my snarkiness on <laughs> hey, Real quick, stuff. I want to mention we're, sure. we, we're planning. Um, so if you're around in the Los Angeles area, you talk about live, like signing day. Uh, if you want to come by to the lab uh, near USC for lunch between 12 and 3, we'll have uh, most of us out there. Probably not Gerard, but we'll have 
out there. They're not doing. They don't do like. They don't do like reservations, so we're just going to kind of gather there. Uh, I might be able to reserve a back room or something, but we'll just kind of have people hang out. We did that. I don't think we did it last year, maybe two years ago. Yeah. And it was fun. Was it two years ago? Yeah, we did it. Yeah. Years. It was fun. A bunch of people came out. I think like Gavin Morris came out and some of the USC athletic department people came out. But just kind of chat. It's not going to be as exciting of a signing day because there's just not as many dudes. But if you want to, you know, come have lunch, and we'll probably have to go like three ish or so inside to Heritage Hall or, or McKay Center to do the. Uh, signing day press conference that they normally have. But if you're around, we're going to, you know, we'll put that information up. on. Do they sell alcohol at the lab? They sell, they're pretty good beers. Um, The food's pretty good. So you want to have like a (laughs) more incentive to come out. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'll buy a beer too. Tell me, listen to television. I'll buy you a beer. (laughs) Crap. I'm going to be on the hook for a lot of beers. I was like, why would (laughs) you say that right now? No, no, don't do that. Uh, Well, let's go to another live caller. We have Mark on the phone. Hi, Mark. What is your question? Hey, how you guys? How you guys doing? Uh, my question is: with the lack of success for the elite level guys in 2019 class, kind of looking forward, do you think it will have an effect on the elite guys in the 2020 class? It will have an effect, but that effect could actually be positive because you didn't sign Brew McCoy. Then you've got a guy like Gary Bryant. You've got some of these other guys, John Humphrey, who I know is a is a is a cult. He has a cult following from USCFootball.com. Kristen Shotgun. Um, there's a few guys in, you know, the 2020 class at wide receiver that USC maybe be able to get because they're not going to crazy stack this 2019 class. I mean, as it was, you're talking about Bruce McCoy, you're talking about Manure McLean, you're talking about Kyle Ford, you're giving me two five stars, Puka Nakua. Whenever you do that, and, and obviously with the new offense that they're running, the air raid, you have more room to put all those guys on the field. So that that changes things. But those guys were sort of committed, and it looked like they were going to get Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford and all these guys before they actually made that commitment to the air raid offense. So you're thinking six receivers in this class was a little bit of overkill, <laughs> especially when they need linemen and they need other players like defensive backs. And so whenever you get that many guys at one position, you're going to A, have transfers, and B, you're going to hurt the next class. I mean, they got six linebackers in the 2018 class, and what happened? The Gabriel Floyd decommit. And why did he decommit? Because they told him we were really looking for three linebackers, and then they ended up with six. Did they really need all those guys? Did they need uh, Elijah Winston at the end towards signing day? You know, at the at the risk of losing a guy like the Gabriel Floyd to Texas, I say no. And so I'm, I'm not a big fan of overstacking the position. And I understand... You know, a bird in hand is worth two in the bush, but you do have to sort of look at the cycles in the two-year period, and I think that it could actually benefit them. They're going to be okay at receiver. Um, obviously, they continue to have transfers out. And, you know, it changes the yeah. There's been a lot of those. the narrative a little bit, but they're, but they're still okay at receiver right now. Obviously, 2020 class is going to be huge though because you're going to lose Pittman and you're going to lose Tyler Vaughn's, and that's going to be. Easy to sell. Look at two of our top guys. You expect them to have good years, especially in this offense where they're passing the ball so much. JT Daniels now has another year under his belt to be a sophomore. They could have really big years and and end up being, you know, first day, second day picks. And then you could sell that to this class of 2020. So I, I think it actually could end up being okay at the receiver position. Is there a negativity? Is there negative momentum going into the 2020 class right now with USC? Because Clay Helton remains on the hot seat and there's still instability and there's still a lot of questions going on with the administration, some of the decisions they've made. Yes. Is that hurting them? Yes. But that will all go away with the winning season. So it it impacts things right now. It may impact them early on. But once they get on the field, if they're able to win football games, 
and they're getting with football games on the offensive side of the ball looking pretty with the air raid offense and throwing up great stats, you're not going to hear anything about negativity. They'll build that momentum back. Hey, Mark, how long have you been a USC fan? I just muted him. Oh. Mark, still there? Uh, I've been I've, I've been a fan all my life. I've I've been a, I've definitely been a fan all my life. I know uh, um, it's definitely kind of concerning with the Bruce situation going to to um, you Texas. know the modern kind of ending the modern day pipeline. Cause yeah. I have my eye on a few guys like Elias Ricks and Darion Green Warren. Even though they're committed to other schools, you know modern day guys, USC guys. I just I just hope going forward we don't lose out on those guys. Yeah, that's a good point, Mark. Because yeah, that modern day's been. Uh, thanks again for the call, Mark. Um, yep. Thank you, Mark. It's uh, yeah, it's a huge pipeline, Gerard. Like yeah. they've just so many dudes, you know, from the Matt Leinerts, the Matt Grudegoods, way back in the day. So many guys came to USC. Does does Brew McCoy going to Texas stop that pipeline? Well, it, it's really more of a question: Does it open up the pipeline to maybe other schools? Is really always what you want to know? Is you know, USC's got some some things they've got to kind of patch up with Narbonne. And it, and it hurt them in this recruiting class with Jonah Tana'au because they were going into Narbonne, they're trying to get Jonah. But some of the things that went on with Raymond Scott's recruitment, I heard sort of had some impact on Jonah. But that's not really wins and losses. That's more of the personal recruiting and that's the personal stories and that's the things that have went on. You know, does that impact USC at modern day? Well, Elias Ricks has already committed to LSU before any of this really started happening. Yeah, I, I think... Again, if you win, it really does correct a lot of these things. And I think it's one of those deals where even if you don't win and you lose and then, you know, Clay Helton's out and then they have to get a new pro, a, a new coaching staff in, you still have to do the work. You know, you still have to go to the school and you still have to show that you have vision. And I think, again, from the administration standpoint, really maybe the more of the question is not necessarily five and seven, it's. You know, is the administration going to continue to do they going to invest in the football program? Is the BOT going to get on the same page here and be able to make sure that the money that is, you know, in the billionaire's pockets gets to the administration and then from the administration gets to the football program and there's an efficient, seamless process in making sure that the football program is winning. USC is handicapping themselves a lot with how they're pinching pennies and doing certain things. We've talked a lot about the support staff and the lack of resources there with the support staff and how important support staff is now going forward in recruiting. And USC is just, at, you know, they're like in the bottom of the Pac-10 or Pac-12 going through with that. So these are things that that are, are obviously affecting them as well. It's all sort of gets, people get the bad vibe from it, you know, and, and so they've got to correct a lot. And I think it does sort of start at the top a little bit. And we're going to see what the decision is with this new president. I think that's going to be impactful. It's going to be interesting just to show what is the direction of USC football and athletics in general uh, being from what is the attitude and the approach from that new president on athletics? Yeah. And we had a couple of questions on any word on the new president. I, you know, all I'd heard was, and I think John Willner reported like the, the president from Northeastern and Northwestern, there were two guys that were candidates, but haven't heard too much. It could happen, you know, in the next month or so, or it might take a little while longer. I was told originally it'd probably be in the spring. So we'll see. Yeah. March. And I know you don't really want to rehash this, Gerard, but a lot of people are asking for just more clarity on the whole Brew, Brew McCoy thing. Brew McCoy situation. Brew yeah. there's, there's not much to clear up, really. I, I think people really want that silver bullet. They want to hear 
oh, Clay said something to him and, you know, he made him mad or, or you know, they, they kind of want to indict Clay Helton here because of obviously they don't feel like he's taking the program in the right direction. Um, you know, they are coming off a Rose Bowl and then, you know, Pac-12 championship. So three out of two out of the three years, they've they've not been bad. But obviously this year was that bad and it was that much of a debacle where you could kind of see some of the holes maybe in the armor in previous years. And, and this was a year where sort of the planets aligned and those holes really killed them. Um, so with Brew, it's, it's just a matter of him getting on campus and not feeling like there was a winning atmosphere there. I think he just didn't feel comfortable. Everybody that talks to me says he just wasn't happy and he wasn't happy the way things were going. Obviously, they don't have a strength and conditioning coach. So maybe coming from a school like Modern Day, which they got their stuff together at Modern Day. They know what they're doing in the offseason. They get their guys in the weight room and, and they're organized. Perhaps there just wasn't a lot of organization going on with USC. You had the majority of the coaching staff out on the road recruiting. There maybe was just nobody around, and he just did not get a good vibe with it. He knew that if he was going to make a move, he had to make a move quick. He couldn't he couldn't linger with this, yeah. and so he made that decision. So I, I heard rumors and a lot of stuff going around about this, that, and the other, but I, I mean, mostly I've just heard he wasn't happy and felt like he was in a program that they just weren't going to win and um, he wants to win. And so he bailed and that was it. Yeah. We had, and we had heard, we put some stuff in the war room last week and uh, uh, you know, from stuff from the family, he's, he's a guy that likes to challenge himself and he's not necessarily the guy that wants to stay home and go to the easy path. And uh, you know, going to Texas is going to be more of a challenge for him. It felt almost, we were told it almost felt like being in high school when he was at USC and with all the other turmoil and stuff, and losing Cliff Kingsbury, not having your offensive coordinator. I, I mean, well, that I, was a huge, that fun. was a big part of it. The challenge part, I think, is garbage. I think that's just really? something. Right. Yeah, I think that's just nonsense coming from the family. The, the, you want to challenge? I mean, that's what the family was saying. You want to yeah. challenge? Five and seven is a challenge. How about <laughs> how about helping the team come back from five and seven and win a Rose Bowl next year? Right. That's a challenge. So I, I don't I don't agree with that. I don't think there's rationale there. But I do think the Cliff Kingsbury thing. There was no, again, it was no direction. It was a little bit yeah. of a rudderless ship. He didn't know where they were going with things. He, he, you know, it's really, what side do you fall on? Do you, do you believe him that he felt like he was misled with Kingsbury? Or do you feel that's just a convenient excuse to say, eh, I'm not feeling this place. I want out of here. So, you know, in terms of the petition and trying to play at Texas this year, I can guarantee you he's going to say, I was lied to by USC with Kingsbury. Now, whether that floats or not, I don't know, but... Uh, supposedly two weeks prior to him even asking to transfer, he had a lawyer <laughs> ready lined up to kind of go through this process. So he kind of knew he was not feeling the team. And this is something that was going, it was brewing for a while. Ah, there you go. Dun, dun. Okay. I believe one day we'll stop talking about brew McCoy. One day, one day <laughs> uh, we have another live caller. I love this. I this believe is like my favorite thing ever. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Uh, I think we have Ramari. Remari. I'm not sure if I'm botching your name. I'm sorry. Uh, how are you doing? What's your question for us? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. Uh, my question is if, USC and Clay Hilton go one in four. What do you think the odds of him getting fired at midseason compared to the end of the season? Interesting. What's your is it Ramari? How do you say your name? Remari. 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 Nice. Um, I think yeah. So you look at USC's schedule, Remari, and uh, it's brutal for the first six. Now I know Dan Weber doesn't like to say it's brutal, but you're talking about you know playing on the road, some some tough places. Uh, Notre Dame. You got to play. A 12-win Fresno State. You got to play uh, 
BYU on the road. I mean, three of the, you know, you're playing Washington, uh, Utah. I think Utah's on the road too. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's not an easy slate. So if USC doesn't have their ducks in a row and they don't, you know, get the air raid down uh, this, uh, this spring and if there's some tinkering going on, whatever it is, and they, they're not scoring points and they, they start off one and four, I think 100% that Clay Helton could be fired midseason. Now, I... The, the gut I've had the whole time was Lynn Swan did not want to fire him no matter what. And obviously the way they finished, you couldn't finish any worse, losing to UCLA and all that. He didn't want to fire him no matter what. Like, it didn't matter what happened. Obviously, they, you know, what they lose? The last five of the last six or something? Or yeah, four of the last five? Whatever it was. I, so my thought has always been Lynn Swan didn't want to fire him now, but in 2018. But 2019, I think my, my gut was telling me Everything would be on the table. So a one and four start, I think that's, I think that would be grounds for termination. Because then you're talking they had won two of their last eight or nine games or something. Like, I, I think at that point there would be so much outrage. You're trying to fill the new coliseum, the newly renovated coliseum. So we don't know. I would thought he'd been fired after five and seven two, and he wasn't. But I think if you start off like one and four, I he, didn't think that. You didn't think five and seven. You didn't think he'd be fired? No, I knew they weren't going to fire him, no All matter right. what. All right. Well, that that was that. And you say a hundred percent, hundred percent, one in four hundred percent. Not hundred percent. I think there's a really oh. good chance. Okay. No. What's the percentage? Rewind. This, what's the percentage? Do you think the percentage? If he's one in four, like I go seventy. Seventy percent, really. Pretty high. So you really think this administration wants to do another mid-season firing? I think there would be. If you're talking about one and four after finishing like losing four of your last five or whatever, I just don't think there's any, there's no hope. Like you've, you've hired the, you know, super special offensive coordinator and it's just not working. And you get to give him a chance now to actually be interim coach. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, do you want to have like a redo of things no, that have already could, happened in USC history? Yeah. I don't, uh, this, you set yourself up for doing this by not firing them then. I think, I don't know if you have a choice at one and four, but I, Certainly, they could not fire him, but I, I'm guessing I'm going to go say 70% that they do. What, what would you think? I think it's possible. I definitely think it's possible. I, I but know. But not probable. I'm saying it's probable and not, you know. Man, I'm, I'm, believe it or not, I'm on, I'm on the fence with that. Um, and I know people are, are freaking out right now and they're pulling their hair out going, Are you serious? You could, he, they could start the season off like that and they wouldn't just fire him immediately. The administration loves Clay Helton. They love Clay Helton. They really don't want to get rid of him. Um, I think getting an offensive coordinator like uh, Graham and even going after Kingsbury, I think we're a lot about, hey, we want to keep Clay Helton. We want this to work with him at the helm specifically. USC administration sort of has an Al Davis thing going on. They want to really control the football program. All right, They don't really want a head coach that's going to come in and control the football program and sort of take it out of their hands. Now, traditionally, that's what works. Traditionally, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, Chip Kelly, these guys are micromanagers. They come in and they run the football program. But I think with sanctions, it allowed certain administrators to say, look it, when you give a guy like Pete Carroll that much control, this is what happens. And they seized back control. And now they've got control. And they want to run the football program. They want a head coach that defers to them. They want to be the bosses. They don't want a head coach that can circumvent them and he could be the boss. So Clayton's that guy that they can control and that, you know, it, it budget, whatever goes on, Clayton's not going to rock the boat. 
And so I think they really, really want Clay Helton to be there, and they're going to give him every single chance. It just depends upon, like you said, an empty coliseum. It's going to be a pretty empty coliseum. This was the first year, I think, regardless. I think, I think <laughs> I mean, in 15 years or something like that, that they've every game was under 60,000 or something. I mean, they, they've yeah. never seen that before. It's going to be, you start it's off be one under 50,000. It's going to be so, like, it's hard to imagine how bad that would be. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's, I don't think that's likely at all. So that's the one thing. But one in four, it'd just be like, oh my God, this, you just have to blow this up and start over. Yeah, that's that's the real question is that the pressure and how much that pressure really even means to the administration. Is there somebody on the BOT? Is there a booster that steps up and says, hey, we got to make a move? There's a lot of variables there, but I would just caution people from assuming, just like they assumed, hey, if he loses to Arizona State, hey, if he loses the cow, every week I had somebody say, so if they lose this game, Gerard, and I kept saying, it's not guaranteed. I'm telling you, <laughs> don't think just because he loses every game from here on that automatically he's gone. They, they, There's a reason that he was be able to be promoted uh, despite, you know, not being a head coach and, and all the other things that you could look at resume wise to say, you know, why would they hire him? There's a reason he was hired despite that. And so they want to make it work with Clay Helton. There's much more stability there, quite frankly, with Clay Helton than people think. Uh, but, you know, there's always that pressure that could come. And there's always that sort of, and we've always, we've coined the phrase here, the Wasserman effect, where you have a booster that comes in and says, all right, I'm going to put my checkbook down and I'm going to make sure that these checks are getting cashed a certain way and we make things work and we get the guy that we want to get. And, you know, perhaps there's, you know, an Urban Meyer thing that goes on. There's a, there's a lot of weird stuff. I mean, we've heard some talk about, you know, what about, what about Pete Carroll? You know, what if about Pete and that ownership up in Seattle, he's not feeling that. Would he come back? There's a lot of weird scenarios that could get played out if you want to go big, if you want to say, you know what? We're going to go try to win another national championship. But if the administration and the BOT are not invested in that and they really are not that concerned about football, then that's not going to happen. Yeah. USC lost five of the last six. So you'd be talking, they lost, uh, if you're, you're going one and four, they would have lost nine of their last 11 games. Like that would, I don't, that's a season. I, I don't think you can survive <laughs> that. Like that would, no. Alrighty, we have a caller on the line, and I am told that is it is the Jasper Smith of YouTube. Jasper, Jasper, are you there? Right. Yeah, speaking. Hello, what How is you your question? Doing? Yeah, yeah, this, my question is just related to um, the defensive coordinator Clancy Pendergrass. I was wondering what what recruits has he been responsible for <laughs> since he's been here. Jasper, I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> That's, why, exactly. That's why you're asking the question, Jasper. Exactly. exactly. So, so just for people who don't know, so I mean, I, I, people get critical of Clancy Pendergrass. I, I kind of like him as a defensive coordinator. He at least has a plan in place. Some people are, you know, critical of the, this or that, but I feel like they're like it's more of a, they have they have it's more defined than what we've seen on the offensive side of the football. But he's not a strong recruiter. And sometimes, you know, coordinators, you don't really have to be. You know, no, T. Martin I, was. He's like the exception. Well, that was kind of the issue with USC. Their best coordinator or their best recruiter was their offensive coordinator, which you kind of don't want. You don't because he's got a lot on his plate as a coordinator. I mean, the weekly stuff that goes on during the season in terms of game planning and install, they got way too much on their plate to be out there grinding on the recruiting trail. So, you know, with a guy like Pendergast, I. Look, at he is by far the most uh, decorated coach that USC has 
on their staff. I mean, way more than even Helton, like by yeah. leaps and bounds. This guy coached in a Super Bowl. So, you know, I, and I agree. I think with what Ryan is saying, with your coordinators, that's not the biggest deal. You want your coordinators scheming. You want your coordinators to be smart, conniving. They watch the tendencies. They, 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 they figure out things to do. You want them figuring out how to beat other teams. It's not a big deal to have them out there kissing the butts of a bunch of 16, 17-year-old kids. That is not the, the first thing on the list of the resume that you're looking for. It's nice. You know, you know, Brett Venables is a pretty good recruiter. He's always been known as a good recruiter, good energy. There are guys that are that are that are decent recruiters, solid recruiters, but I think for for Pendergast, yeah, that's not necessarily something that um it, maybe they're in the offseason, you know, there's some criticism there. He's not as visible and what have you, but I don't think that's the biggest thing in the world that's going to flip this for USC. I, you know, Pendergast becomes a great recruiter. <laughs> I think you want him going in there and devising defenses to stop other teams, and that's the most important thing for him. You saw him more on the recruiting trail this last offseason, though, when they've yeah, yeah he he goes on in homes. He's in, and he's not ter- and he's not bad. I've I've heard that he's been pretty good on in homes, and he's able to go ahead and and share his vision, and and he's pretty good about that and writing up things on official visits and showing guys on the whiteboard, you know what their defense looks like and how they fit into that defense. So he's been pretty solid in, in all those areas. Obviously, I think it's more during the spring, during the summer, you know, they sort of check out and it's like the NFL. And, you know, unfortunately that kind of, I think maybe rubbed off on some of the other coaches and they thought they could do that too. And if you're a position coach, you better be out there busting your ass recruiting. Yeah. You better protect your position. And some of those other guys thought they were Clancy Pendergast and then coached in the NFL for a number of years and didn't need to do that. <laughs> Um, well, thank you, Jasper, for the yeah, call. Glad we, um, got, we got Jasper in. This yeah, is cool. this is this is but, like the coolest thing. Like I'm yeah, it's, such a nerd. It's like, so this is fun. Like a- <laughs> I feel like we're like the West Coast. <laughs> like, this uh, is cool. Um, also, that means once we uh, mute a caller, which you don't hear them anymore, that means the line is open. So if you're dying to get a call in, which I know I've seen some comments, you can once that that question is is asked, you can get your call in. Um, as far as um, we had a question from Facebook that, Gerard, they wanted to know what you think about uh, Tim Drevno as an O-line coach. And I know you've had some some comments about him in the past. Yeah, I like him as an offensive line coach. I just have talking to him when he was offensive line coach the first go-around at USC. He's a very detailed guy. He has, specific, he has a specific vision for his offensive linemen. He does not give you a ton of coach speak. He does not give you a lot of vagueness. He knows exactly what he wants, and he has a plan, and I like that. I like when you hear from a coach specifics and details. And so I think from an evaluation standpoint, and not just evaluation and recruiting, but self-evaluation, I think something that's very important is being able to self-evaluate your roster and know what you have and know what you don't have. The biggest issue with him, and this is the big question mark that came along with Cliff Kingsbury, is that he isn't necessarily coached in an air raid scheme. So now I've never been an offensive line coach. I didn't even play offensive line. Uh, I don't know how different it is. I know it is different. I know your splits are going to be different. I know there's going to be some differences um, in how you coach the offensive line in that type of offensive scheme as opposed to more of a pro-style offensive scheme. So that's the biggest question. Is he going to be learning on the job a bit? How much does he have to learn on the job? Uh, In his own environment of a pro-style offense, I really like him as offensive line coach, and I think he's very smart. And I think he picks up on things. He sees things with the defense. He just has a very good idea of being able to see things not only from the 30,000-foot level, but, you know, the 10-foot level. And so I've always liked 
his his take on offensive line and coaching from whether it be technique or like I said just kind of backing off a little bit and, and seeing from that 30,000 fit view and being evaluate his whole offensive line you know just as a, a unit um, I'm still trying to parse through questions I believe we have a call right now oh. uh, I think we're just going to go straight to a call we have a call from Trey Trey how are you doing what's your question for us good how are you guys doing um, doing good. I was wondering about where USC was standing with the uh, Arkansas cornerback committed, or, or dude committed to Arkansas. Yeah, Adonis Ote. Adonis Ote is a guy that we didn't really talk about. You know, yeah. we kind of actually kind of forgot about him a little bit. He officially visited USC last weekend, and you know everything we heard, it sounded like they were in a very very good position with Ote. Um, committed to Arkansas still, and still publicly committed to Arkansas. But uh, sounded like that, you know, before uh, he went on his official visit, that offer for USC was huge. He really likes USC. I think, you know, just in terms of off the field, you know, with academics and everything, that was big for he and his family. Uh, Chris Trevino actually did an update and talked with him um, just after his official visit. And he kind of admitted, you know, I was thinking about maybe committing, but he wanted to take his time, go back home, really think about it. Uh, but I think uh, USC is still in a very good position for him. I haven't heard anything otherwise, uh, but like I said, I kind of forgot. Uh, yeah, about him going. being another defensive back you we're talking about, you know, and that's another guy uh, that you're looking for those bodies at the defensive backfield because they lost five really quality players there to transfer and other issues. Um, so, yeah, Adonis Ote is another guy that's in there that uh, USC is in a pretty good position with. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Trey. We appreciate you and your call. Um, Jordan, any other uh, recruiting tidbits you want to add <laughs> right now? I'm putting you on the spot because I'm I'm she's, juggling a lot of she's, balls she's, right now. You've got a lot to do. And there. I always get I get all kinds of stuff about not going on and being so verbose. And now, yeah, it's called fill in the dead air, Gerard. <laughs> no, exactly, do it, Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one uh, kind of there's obviously one other big recruit. Kind of mentioned him a little bit before. Dewan Jones, uh, the big uh, 6'8", you know, 265-pound offensive tackle from Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, who uh, Steve Wolfong had just done an update with. It sounds like, you know, USC is really good with the family. The mom really likes USC and kind of wants him to go to USC, but the kid has that Ohio State offer, and he kind of likes Ohio State. And that's going to be an interesting one for USC because this is a an offensive lineman that really blew up towards the end of the season, got a bunch of scholarship offers towards the end of the season. Uh, I believe he's still a three-star, uh, but certainly when you look at his scholarship offers, he looks like he's more of a four-star. A really important recruit for USC because they don't have many offensive tackles. They've got Hunter Hill, who's going to be officially visiting this weekend, but they just don't have many guys there. And so, again, you're talking about bodies, and Dewan Jones would be like a huge get for them. He's a big body. And, and that's a guy that, I mean, Gavin Gavin Morris has really kind of been the lead recruiter on him. And then, you know, uh, Drevno sort of took over, and, and now they're kind of double-teaming trying to get him. Um, so we're going to have to see how that goes. Another kind of tidbit, you know, to talk about a little bit, Kyle Ford. It sounds like Kyle Ford, you know, he had his in-home visit, or he's going to have his in-home visit with USC and uh, Graham Harrell. I can't say Harrell. Graham Harrell. Harrell. I can't say Harrell. I want to say and Harrell every portal. time. Portal. Portal. Not, not, <laughs> not porthole. I like to roll my portal. R's. Portal. The Martinez. Um, but uh, but they're, but they're going to have that in-home visit with him, I think, uh, either tomorrow night or, or it would probably be tomorrow night. Um, and that's going to be kind of his first chance to sit down and talk about the new offense and everything. I don't know if he's going to be on campus unofficially visiting. I'm trying to get that from the family. But – 
overall, I just hear positives right now from the the, the Kyle Ford camp. And it kind of seems like, you know, USC is in a pretty good position with him. Um, you know, Puka Nakua is, uh, he's still got Washington and UCLA. Oregon's trying to get in with him. They're recruiting him really hard. We talked about before. Utah too. Uh, yeah. Utah's still there. Yeah, yeah, his brother's at Utah. Uh, we talked about him kind of going into the Army All-American game and, or we call it now just the All-American Bowl. Um, you know, how that Kyle Ford really was specifically, if he committed to USC, how that was going to affect Puka Nakua. So now you have Kyle Ford there who looks like he's maybe going to be solid with USC. He's going to end up at USC and not go to Oregon because really Oregon was the other school really trying hard with him. But now you don't have Bruce McCoy. So it's like, okay, so do we change those out there? You know, you don't have Brew there, so maybe it's not as money guys and you're not stacking that position as much and you're able to keep Puka Nakua. I know with Puka, just from um, – a personality standpoint, he's such an LA kid. He is. He really is such a fun kid and just enjoys everything. He, he's laughing as he scores touchdowns, and he he's like it's just he's 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 a guy that really would love LA, and I think would you know kind of um, I, I think transition well with LA, where other guys might have a harder time. I don't think he's that type of kid. So you you see off the field how he would really want to go to USC still, but you know obviously there's not a lot of good vibes around the football program, and so. You know, that's where you're going to look at the Brew McCoy thing. And do, do these, I, I thought maybe with Kyle Ford, would Kyle Ford look at that and go, oh, he Brew doesn't want to go there. Do I want to go there? And that was a lot of those rumors and a lot of talk like, oh, yeah, he's gone, um, you know, already done deal. You just kind of have to, it, we always talk about with recruiting, it's never as good as it seems or as bad as it looks. And yeah. that's the truth of the matter. So we'll see how things develop. And, and if they're able to hold on to, to Kyle, how that impacts uh, Puka Nakua. We have a question on Facebook from Dennis and uh, from James. They both want to know about Enoch Vimahi. Oh, yeah. What, is there any update on him? We had a Periscope, too. Considering the offensive line talent in 2020 out west, how important is uh, recruiting Vimahi? It, very important, obviously. I think he's more of a guard, and so that's always the big question is, you know, where are your offensive tackles? And that's a harder position to recruit for. You know, it's um, it's one of those things like, you know, you're looking at defensive tackles and it's like, who's the three technique that can actually pass rush? And who's the three technique that's just going to be a body catcher and just stand in the gap and catch guys? Um, and so, you know, he's probably more of a guard. We saw him get pushed around a bit there in San Antonio. How did he look in in the Polynesian Bowl? Uh, it was, he was kind of slight, you know, yeah. so he's, he looks, he's listed at 280 pounds. He's probably more like 260, and uh, he, did, he, you know, he kind of held his own with the one-on-one -on -one reps. I got to watch him mostly on the uh, the first two days when he was in pads, but it, he, I mean, he, he looks like a, an athlete. He looks like he's, you know, got a great frame, but there's whatever reason he's not filled out as much, and he's yeah. a guy that's going to take his mission too, right? Right. So you're not really sure what's going to happen there, but he was all right. But you could tell, like. I don't know how the mission's going to impact things, but I think you could project him to be a really good player in college. But for whatever reason, he he looked like 260 pounds, and he was up. You know, some of the guys were like 320. He was next to. I mean, he's going against uh, Siaki. Yeah, uh, Siaki Ika, Ika. who's two, 372. I think he came in at the. Uh, he was good the when, when he did the haka, and was like that was ridiculous. Him and uh, the uh, USC commit, the uh, linebacker commit, uh, Mananoa. Oh, Matt Tofono, yeah. Yeah, Tofono. Like, they were leading the Haka, which is, like, the coolest thing. Like, watch that video. It's, like, the coolest thing ever. I think Blair put up a video. But they're, they're up there just, like, man, you would not want to mess with those dudes. They're just, like, <laughs> it was pretty cool. But 
Yeah, he, he would go up against a guy like that who had 100 pounds on yeah, him. Yeah, and he just get tossed like, around. Yeah, we saw that a bit in San Antonio. Just He just wasn't strong enough and big enough. And, and obviously that has something to do with just a strength and conditioning program, you know, at his school as opposed to you get a guy from modern day that you know that kid is going to be trained up. You know, yeah. it's just a big difference in terms of the resources at those two different schools. So that's part of the problem with him. But um, and he took a visit. I think he took an official visit to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Or, and uh, then Ohio uh, State. Ohio was State was the last one. Yeah. So, you know. A lot of the talk was he was going to go to like one of those two schools, I think. It, in it, it's, it's, and that was, that was sort of the vibe with the Polynesian Bowl that, you know, he was, he was leaning against. But they've taken some more in-home visits, and they've been back there, and they've been pounding away at him. And it seems like maybe he's back kind of leaning towards USC. It, it's sort of a little bit of a coin toss. This is going to be one of those ones that, you know, the day before signing day, yeah. you're just going to be on the phone trying to figure out, like, everybody who's talked to him last and, you know, where's the, the champion of the family really leave, uh, leaning towards. Um, you know, Oklahoma kind of was confident there for a while. And so that – I think if if I think it's between USC and Oklahoma more, I don't want to discount Ohio State, but I think you know Oklahoma and USC is kind of the the two choices for them. Um, we'll just kind of see if that really, you know, it, it develops into a 50-50 type thing and he's actually, you know, flipping a coin at signing day and he doesn't know where he's going or he does know where he's going and it'll leak a little bit earlier and we'll get a feel for that. Um, but uh, I think it's I think it's. This week, it seems like it's more USC than it was during that Polynesian Bowl week, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so we have a live caller. I believe yes. we have Stevie <laughs> online. Stevie, hello. Hey, how's it going? Uh, what's your question for this? Hey, where are you from first, Stevie? <laughs> from Monterey. Nice. That's uh, beautiful there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everywhere yeah. in California today. Uh, what's your question, Stevie? All right, so I had a question on Graham Harrell. I just wanted to know how much, like, control did he have over, like, North Texas offense? Like, how much of their success was, like, um, on him? And does does his experience, like, worry you guys? Yeah, so he's only been a, a full-time, like, assistant coach, like we said, for four years. Uh, talked to some, we talked to definitely some people in that camp and uh, people that have covered him. So Seth Luttrell is the head coach of North Texas. He's an offensive guy, too. Um, they brought him in there, and I think it was a risk by by Seth Luttrell trying to bring a guy like that in there. And I think it definitely shifted from year one to year two and three, where uh, everything I read and people had told me that he was definitely running uh, the offense. Luttrell was giving him the keys and letting him do things, and I thought he you know, did a really good job there. Obviously, it's a different thing you're doing at North Texas uh, to doing at USC, but I think you, you, you could project the kind of what we saw with the Cliff Kingsbury path. And, uh, you know, I think you're going to see the same sort of thing with the, with the Graham Harrell pass. So I, I get the concerns, and I, but everything I was told, it wasn't like Seth Luttrell was running uh, the entire office. It was, it was really they were giving it over to, to Graham. And there was a – I got to go back and look. There was a couple articles I read. I tried to read more articles on it and some interviews and stuff back at, uh, at the time. And I think the 24-7 site from North Texas did a pretty good piece where they interviewed uh, – it was from 2017, I think, where they interviewed – uh, Latrell, they interviewed uh, uh, Graham Harrell and stuff, and um, yeah, but everything I'd read, it seemed like he was going to be the guy running it. So it's not like he was offensive coordinator and name only. If that's uh, what you're worried about, Stevie. Thanks for calling, Stevie. We appreciate the call. We have an interesting question from Todd on Facebook. He says, "As a head coach, what is the most important improvement that Clay Helton must make this upcoming season?" Ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Wins. <laughs> <laughs> Not play calling, just letting Graham Harrell just go and 
do his thing. Laissez faire. Yeah, yeah, I really think the hands off thing, and that's and part of the. I, I don't think that was part of Stevie's question, but the the uh, catching up with Clay Helton. He said he was going to let him do that. He said the same thing about uh, Cliff Kingsbury. He's an offensive guy. You know, he was been involved in the play calling even last year, where they said it was all T Martin. We we had heard that he, you know, he's he's got veto power and stuff. I think he just needed to to let that part go. So what he's saying he's going to do now is is focus on the details. Um, you know, they they lost a bunch of close games late, is what he was saying, and so he's got to focus on the details, penalties, and discipline, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's smart. But the most important thing to me was bringing in somebody with their own offensive system. I think they've done that now. Uh, so it's really just you know keeping this team uh, tough. Like don't you know you, you? I think they were kind of light on these guys a little bit. You know, more discipline, more toughness. Just have that kind of attitude. Well, that, that was a big talking point was discipline. Didn't he have some type yeah, the, of... Oh, Lynn Swan said, got to replace... Old discipline. Well, in that that little state of address there that they put out, wasn't that one of the... That big, was one of the things they addressed, yeah. yeah. And he said they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. I think they just have to play like that. They're not going to be the favorite coming in. Um, so let uh, Graham Harrell run the offense. You know, let you already let... Pendergast run the defense. If you want to meddle, meddle with the special teams. And that go and that go and that's not just an I say play calling. Really, play calling is whatever. It's the the process and practice of, of understanding and making sure that they are drilling and they are training for the air raid offense properly in practice. It's the methods because you can sit here and talk all day long about, oh, we're going to throw the ball more and we're going to have this playbook that's going to be this, that, and the other. The terminology is going to be so much simpler. Whatever. You got to practice. Because you're going to play like you practice. And the thing about USC, and I make the example of them running sort of that quasi-read option, they would have that mesh look. They very rarely ever practiced that. And they certainly never practiced it the way that you go and you see a team that really runs the read option. That really, Like, go to Corona right. Centennial High School and go watch Matt Logan run the read option. He's got four different quarterbacks going, and they run maybe like a handful of different drills that are specific to that mesh point and the read. And so they drill it over and over again. They go through there like 60 different handoffs, like each quarterback. That's a specific way of training for that specific type of offense and that specific nuance within that offense. So USC's got to do that. Clay Helton has to say, Graham, show us how to practice this offense yes. first and foremost. Yeah, Let's go big. through these methods. I want the quarterbacks to get the proper drills so that this is second nature to them when they get in the game. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Todd. I, I think we give you 10 answers, but, you know. That's, yeah. Uh, but that, yeah. I, that, I agree. That's a change practice, too. Let him practice the way he wants to practice is, is really important. Yeah. Agreed. Um, we are past the top of the hour. We're I believe we don't have any calls right now as of now. Okay. Um, so maybe Let's get out of here. <laughs> Ronnie says, will Harrell have full control of the offense? That's what Clay Hilton said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if he doesn't, I think you're going to see more problems. We had a question about what do you guys think of uh, Trayvon Sidney and Josh Imatorbebe transferring out? Interesting. Ryan made uh, – I could see that with Trayvon where he might look at the offense now and they may be able to sell him on the offense. Now that's if they want to. That's if, you know uh, – the, the coaches feel like, hey, you know what? You can contribute now and yeah. we want to keep you here. And the same with Josh, but I think actually more with Trevon. He's at smaller slot receiver. Uh, Josh Amatorbebe is a guy that, you know, they kind of have on the roster a little bit already, and they're going to have some bigger bodies coming in with this recruiting class. They don't have a guy like Trevon Sidney, and Trevon Sidney actually contributed. He, yeah. he had some catches for them. Um, he's not the most uh, explosive guy in terms of, you know, flat-out speed, but he's great in space. He's got great moves. He's you know, catches the ball fairly well. Um, 
that's a guy that maybe you could talk into keeping on the roster. I could see him fitting that offense very well. Yeah, I don't remember what he tweeted exactly. I think he tweeted like that he was transferring. I don't remember if it was like a, I thought it was just a thank you. Like, he didn't burn the bridge. And like, yeah, yeah, right. No. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so I think there's some potential there. The other one with Josh Mentor, baby, you got Daniel too, who's you know he's a tight end. He's been yeah. A lot. Did that we ever like, um? Did we ever get into that whole thing with him behind the scenes and the talk with him coming back and whatever? We did not. I don't think we have. We did no. not. All right. I will, I'll, I'll leave. I won't say more. On Subscribe that. to USC Football. Well, I thought it was already in the war room. I can't we, remember. I think we put some stuff in the war room. Yeah. But this isn't war room. <laughs> yes. Right. Okay. Um. I. As far as those two transferring, I think context also matters too because I think added with Brew, people were like, the sky is falling. Yeah, right, Whereas yeah. I feel like those two guys, they were third on the depth chart. You know, these were guys who had potential to transfer whether or not um, someone was leaving. Now, granted, if you have a new offensive coordinator, maybe they want to prove themselves and they still transferred. Um, but I think context matters when you're looking at those transfers. I, I, I didn't think of it as like a sky is falling type of deal. No. Some do, though. It's just like, oh, another receiver, another receiver. And uh, yeah, there still could be more. Like, there's not, it's not like they all have to happen at once. Now that Graham Harrell's hired, maybe that stems, the you know, it stops the. Yeah, the, Keyshawn the Young was another guy that was reported as, as, as transferring. And, and I actually had a source that said there is a Keyshawn Young actually in the portal, but. It's not the Keyshawn Young for USC, at least not right now. Yet. Yeah. So he's still he's still with USC. And we had heard that he was, you know, there wasn't a plan to leave yet, but he could still. Right. You know? And you know what? That's another guy that you go, okay, smaller slot receiver. Those guys are guys that have been very successful in this type of offense. It, it really hasn't been all about the six five big receivers. It's been about the smaller guys that can play in space. And so those guys really, if there's anybody on this team that have to be excited, it's the smaller guys. It's the smaller running backs. Uh, Dominic Davis, um, you know, I think, uh, is he is he on the train? He he's not. No, he's still around. He's still listed as the DB for USC. Maybe. You, I mean, they need DBs, but maybe a guy like that you could put it running back. Um, it's the smaller players that play in space this is what this offense is about it's about marginalizing the defensive talent by using the space of the field against them so those type of smaller players uh that can just find space those are the guys that are gonna be successful in this our, type of offense our, our buddy michael castillo will go crazy if they move dominic davis to like slot receiver or something yeah. he loves dominic he, so, he yeah. does and he would i think he would do well there yeah uh, we watched him and i hey i watched him score gosh how many like six touchdowns in one seven on seven game and he had two touchdowns where on a 40 yard field with you know a full group of players he went untouched that's really hard to do to go you know 20 yards to go untouched on that small of a field with that many players in the field uh jason kane wants to know are we going to make a strength and conditioning hot board <laughs> we were talking about it. I, me and chris were talking about it and uh i should but i was kind of yeah <laughs> That's a good idea, though, Jason. Thanks. We have another live caller. We have Paul. We, should we end on Paul? Maybe. Paul, you might be the last one. Paul from NorCal, what is your question for us? Yes. Uh, good evening. Um, <laughs> I wonder whether you have a sense of where Jalen Phillips may end up. I know school is – he can't enroll at USC for the spring. It's too late. So are they out of the picture, or could he still end up at USC? I think uh, he, He's the former five-star right. – uh, rush end or that uh you know left is put in the transfer portal from ucla right yeah and, and looks like he's gonna leave ucla for sure um he was scheduled to take an official visit to miami 
It doesn't look like he's necessarily in a, a hurry to be able to transfer right away that maybe he uses the whole spring to kind of go through the process and he doesn't actually enroll until the summer. So I don't know that he's off the board for USC. I think the big thing is the music school at USC and they've got a great prestige and, and they've got a lot of uh, um, really high marks for the music school. And that's sort of the off the field thing that's kind of drawing him to these different schools that he's looking at. You know, how much is the medical an issue? And and that's that's probably in the back of his head right now is, you know, maybe I do not play football. You know, I think most of the sources I've spoken to feel like he is going to end up playing football. Um, the UCLA sources were really skeptical about the whole thing about him not playing football, and they almost guaranteed, yeah, he's going to end up playing football somewhere. Uh, but other people are saying, you know, there there is some legit – uh, concern there with his family. And he's the type of young man that can do well in other areas. He's not strapped in not playing football, and that's the only way he could become a millionaire. Jan Jalen Phillips is a pretty smart kid, good personality, very confident. Um, he's going to be able to be successful in other aspects of life. So with those type of players, you do say, you know, there is options outside of football. They may give it up. Um, but I think that's obviously you know, how much football is going to be a thing, and then how much is it okay, I'm going to go through and I'm going to, uh, you know, really look at the team and kind of focus in on that and the vibe uh, with what's going on. And so I, I think there's still really good chance he ends up at USC. I, I, I think that's still very much a possibility. Liam McQuay liked the uh, music stuff, right? He, he did. He did. His dad, man, his dad, we, had, we were at, I think, one of the five-star challenges when we were with Rivals and we had the bus ride over to the stadium and his dad had the the longest rant about how mad he was at USC because his kid is like so far away. And he's like, I, only time I ever get to see him is on Instagram and, and, and he's out there and he's trying to be a music builder. He goes, man, and he was so mad because he wanted him to be closer to home. And his, his dad was really involved with stuff. But I mean, Leon just was like all about just the yeah. music and everything. And, and, and he actually had, I believe he had a couple of songs that played on the mixtape during practices. Um, I was oh. told. So yeah. he's he's doing it. He's kind of getting it going and stuff like that. So uh, we'll see if uh, he pops up uh, later on as being uh, you know a hip hop artist. Is it Chris Brown? Wasn't he a musician too? Chris, I think he played. Like, he plays the guitar, but he wasn't a musician. Wole had like, some some tracks that were played at, uh, during yeah. practice. Okay, and Transfer, Wole, some bangers. Transfer portal. Another guy that's that's <laughs> in the yeah. portal. Yeah, indeed. Well, I think that's gonna wrap it up for the inaugural live call show of Television. I think it went pretty well. That, like, I mean, you guys had great questions. Yeah. It, no prank callers, which is pretty good. So <laughs> way better than I thought it would be. Yeah. So thank you guys for doing that. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap it up before signing day? I mean, stay tuned to uscfootball.com. Yeah. This guy over here is going to have us locked down. We're going to see. I mean, we're going to see. Maybe, you know, see if there's any sneaky mystery visitors uh, this weekend. Somebody they can bring in that might be a bigger name. I think what's going to be interesting is after signing day, how many guys there are short and how much we are watching the transfer portal. <laughs> yeah. How much we're looking to see if they can get a guy that's a transfer that ends up being a big player for them, an immediate impact player for them. And um, how much of that becomes the recruiting process? You know, that we always talk about recruits, but transfers are really recruited too because those guys take official visits all over again. And so that process, sometimes you see those guys there during the spring. Um, it's going to be really interesting to overlap that and then the actual recruiting that goes on during the spring because now recruits can take those visits in May and June. And so we saw a little bit of that last year. Um, there's some interesting stuff to after signing day. This signing day is obviously going to be a little underwhelming. I think that's fair to say right now. But there's actually this weird period now going into spring ball and then even coming after spring ball where 
there can be some recruiting going on that is actually meaningful. So we're going to have to see how this all plays out. Yeah, we will. Uh, make sure you check out the site uh, all weekend, all week. The War Room will be tomorrow morning. So a lot of good insider right nuggets nearly. in there all the time. Keely puts that together. Um, Gerard will be writing it on his drive home to, uh, you know. He'll be one hand on the wheel, <laughs> one hand typing. <laughs> but we, I do, I, like Keely said, I thanks everyone for tuning in. I know we had a lot of people live on Periscope and uh, Facebook and YouTube. It's awesome to see the show grow. We're going to we're gonna keep adding more stuff. But So by the time the season comes around, it should be a, almost a different show. But I got looking at backgrounds. That's going to work. That'll all change. We're going to have, uh, I'm adding a capture card. We should have some more camera angles to play with. We now have like live calls, at least some version of it, which is cool. Thanks to Chris Trevino. Yeah, big thanks to Chris for that. In the other room. We had, we had Mike here too. I didn't mention Chris him. thought he got out of socializing with people and then we stuck him back there and he had to be on the phone. I think he kind of liked it because he's, he's in a room by himself. We have, you know, we can hear him a little bit. So you can kind of tell when <laughs> he's like, in a room by himself. Going. I just got a t text from Chris. I just said, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking about me. Yeah. But th no, thanks for taking the time to call in and watch. Yeah, really appreciate and it. And write That's in fun. all the questions. We had so many questions on all the different platforms, but it's been great. We, we really appreciate Appreciate sure. it. So we had no idea what to expect for the live call thing. So yeah. some a random, you know, random Thursday night in uh, in January. So it's pretty cool that you guys are cared enough to call. Yep. Thank awesome. you guys so much. Uh, Ryan, well, when will we be back back next? I cannot speak at the end of the show. We'll probably do, I think next Thursday would be good. Like after signing day is probably yeah. a good time to do it. Shotgun uh, will be back. Everyone was like, Shotgun looks a little different today, but Shotgun is covering the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's why week. no one was late today. Because <laughs> Shotgun was not a part of the show. Heat. How? Heat. Uh, yeah, yeah Shotgun will be back. He's uh, covering the Super Bowl for the, the LA Times. And the, I believe it's the Times, right? Yes, That's what the he's doing. Times. Yeah. So, yeah, the, let's do it Thursday, I guess, after signing day would probably be good. A little nice signing day wrap-up. Yeah, we can try to do live some live calls, calls again. Maybe? We'll see what Division I mean. 2 beta is February 7th, so I will be home. <laughs> Division 2 <laughs> Grinding beta. on the beta. That's, oh. yeah. That's, well that's Gerard's game. Used to be after signing day, like the this signing day coming up, it was just like, oh my god, and it was just, oh, I'm, you know, now it's not even, it's it's so different because I mean we just covered the first seven on seven for really the 2020 class last weekend. Oh, that's so crazy. <laughs> so it's like it doesn't end now, you know. There's like the really the signing day is is the the December signing day, which is terrible because it's like right before Christmas. So yeah, it's a it's too much going on. It's a Bowl bad time. Yeah, it's a bad time. That's got to change. Now this you got this signing day, which is obviously a little less you know significant. At least you know for USC, it has been the past couple of years. Actually, last year wasn't too bad. Last year was pretty good for them. Oh, they yeah, did go on a good run. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see if we continue to have all these guys signing early and then this signing day kind of is a little bit of an afterthought. But, uh, yeah, it's just recruiting never ends, man. It just overlaps. We've got another <laughs> another seven on this weekend. We'll have another. We'll have seven ons all the way up until April. It'll be every weekend. Crazy. That's how it works. All righty. That is going to wrap it up for today's Tunnel Vision. Like I said, thank you so much for calling in, your comments, and, and watching. We appreciate you guys. That's Gerard. That's Ryan. Chris is over there. I'm Keely. We'll see you guys next time. See ya.